We hope you enjoy this podcast from Light Church Edithburg. To find out more about us, visit lightchurch.co. Very good. Awesome. Some of the things that Jesus said are pretty sort of counter-cultural in the, in the days he lived in. Yeah, the, the culture was a certain way and he, he started to teach and it was just completely like he was from a different society, a different planet. Like, I came not to be served, but to serve others and give my life as a ransom for many or, or the greatest among you shall be the servant of all. That was completely ca- counter-cultural particularly in that day and time. And uh, it's probably the opposite in our culture as well. To be great is a servant of all. And um, the culture of the kingdom of God is characterised by serving one another, preferring one another. And serving is like, you know, giving our time and our talents and our energy, um, even our resources to, to serve God. We say it's serving God, but you know how it's outworked in serving one another. If you think you serve God without serving one another, you, you just misunderstood the whole whole thing. And it's like within our church context, within our community, um, Jesus didn't seem to make any dis- distinctions who he served or where he served. He just served those who he was with. And if you think you're serving God without serving others, you got it wrong. It's just the wrong, it's the wrong understanding. And uh, it's sort of not an optional extra to follow Jesus because we follow Jesus means we live life like he lived. And what did Jesus do? He just served those around him. A disciple is a person who follows Jesus, becomes like him and takes up his mission. And um, I thank God that our community, church community has a great culture of serving i really do people here you know they want to represent jesus well our church well and i'm thankful for the generosity of people the the talents of people those who serve you know here and those who serve in the wider context of our community and uh, i love the fact that people are not only willing to serve but they take the initiative go beyond expectations you know, our conference was a great example of that. People were just doing things without being asked. Why? Because they wanted to serve. They understood the, the importance of serving. Uh, each Sunday is the same. We had a funeral here on Monday for Joan Berry, a loved member of our church. Some of you might not know her because she hasn't been here for a few years. But people were here serving um, in that place. So if we got a great culture of serving, what do I need to speak about serving? Because I think it's good to understand the biblical foundation, I suppose, or the New Testament foundation of serving and get some insight um, and maybe rethink. You know, one thing about a conference, Paul Bartlett challenged us to rethink things or, or have a fresh look at things. And maybe I want to have a fresh look at serving. Um, Maybe we can just broaden our idea or our concept. And before we have a look at principles like discovering my spiritual gifts or where I best fit into a situation, we need to understand why we serve 
and sort of how we serve. I mean, our attitude, our motivation. So I'm just, you know, I'm going to talk about that this morning. And first we need to understand that serving is not about us. You know, you don't serve for your own benefit, you serve for others. And even though God wants you to be fulfilled as you serve and to use your gifts, it's not about us. And so we don't serve to fulfill my dreams or your dreams, it's to fulfill really the mission of God. So we're serving someone else's mission, I suppose. And if we don't get that right, we become a pain in the neck. And someone wants to serve, but it's only on their terms when, you know, it benefits them. That's not serving. That's just sort of showing up and wanting things my way. And uh, if I'm a pain in the neck, please tell me. (laughs) That response was just a little too quick. (laughs) Hey, and, and serving always benefits us because we grow as a disciple. And you enjoy it most of the time. Not all the time. Who loves cleaning toilets? Kerry loves cleaning toilets. Hey, there's some things we serve in because, you know, there's a need and some things that we really love to do. We understand that. Um, And we should have a sense of fulfilment and partnership when we serve, but that's not the fundamental reason. Um... The plans that God has for you declares to the Lord to to give you a future and a hope. That's about God's purposes. It's not just to make us feel good. So, and we also need to remember that the church is described as a body. And we're all different parts. Some of us are hands, some of us are, are feet, eyes, ears. Do we have any livers in the house? Yeah, there's one down there. there. And every part is important. We need to understand that. You know, we've often talked about that. You think a little toe of the body's not important until you kick your little toe and then you realise it affects the whole body. You think your elbow's not so important. I tell you what, the hand thinks the elbow's pretty important because they can't do their job. And, and the picture is, if you're part of the body, it's lacking when you, you don't do your part. And someone wants to serve, but if you're a shoulder and someone else is the hand, hey, they need, they need you to be in place so they can serve as well. So we actually help fulfil one another's potential when we serve. And no one is insignificant. Everyone sort of relies on everyone. But today I want to look at the concept of a servant in the New Testament. There's a, there's a word, can we put it up? Julos. Can you say that? Julos. Can you just, it's sort of a Greek word. And um, it means bondservant or slave. That's what the word means. And that's the word used 124 times in the New, New Testament. And um, it's, it, it's translated servant. But the word actually means slave. What? It does. Bear with me here. It means slave. And the Greek has about half a dozen words for servant. And it could have used, but it used that one. And that one means bond slave or slave. And so whenever the, the word, that word appears in the New Testament, it always refers to the word slave. I think, What's that talking about? I'll explain it a little bit. 
Um, and while the duties of a slave and a servant were very similar, there was a distinction. One was hired and one was actually owned. You know, a servant sort of, they were hired to show up. A slave didn't really have much choice. And, and this word, doulos, is usually translated in your Bible, it's translated as servant, not slave. And it's not a conspiracy. It's because when they were translating the Bible, they were dealing with slavery at the time and they didn't want it to reflect that, that word. So they used the word servant most of the time. But a closer, a closer translation is the word probably uh, bond, bond servant or, or, or slave. So most of the times when you read that word in the New Testament, it's not talking about someone who was hired to serve or someone who was volunteering to serve. It was actually talking about someone who had a lord and a master. And um, so what did it mean to be a slave in New Testament times? That's important to know. In New Testament times, about one-fifth of the population were slaves. Okay, you lot there. First four rows, you're the slaves. How do you feel? <laughs> Robson. Face doesn't, no, no. So one-fifth of the population was probably slaves and they were actually owned by their master and for many slaves it was a difficult life. Um, and those days your status of a slave depended upon your master, who, what family you were with. And... Um, a slave at the time of writing was sometimes a bad thing, but sometimes it was a good thing because you had, had a good master, you had a really good life. You probably had good clothes, you lived in a household which was secure, you didn't have to worry about food, and then there was the bad side as well. So what it was like to be a slave really depended on who your master was. They were dressed well. Some were called rustic slaves. That was Rob. They're the ones who worked out in the fields. You know, the parable of the talents, they call it, they were rustic slaves. But a lot of them were people like doctors um, who were connected to a family, teachers. They had significant responsibilities. And if your master was well-respected, then so were you. So if you were with that family, you were well-respected. So it's, you know, it's trying to paint a picture of what, what the context of these verses are. And it would have been hard to distinguish a slave from a free person in those days. But whatever your situation, if you had a, a good master or a bad master, there was one thing the same. You were, you were still owned as a person. And when the Bible speaks about servants, it's actually uh, sort of talking into that context. So it gives you a bit of an understanding um, they weren't a hireling, they, they, they didn't apply for the job, um, they weren't someone who chose if they wanted to serve, they were owned by a master. So when the Bible says this, in Romans 6, verse 17 and 18, thank God once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey his teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become, what? Slaves to righteousness. It's an interesting term, isn't it? 
So, in other words, we were slaves to sin. Sin was our ruler. We were owned by sin. That's what it was saying. And we had no choice. That's, that was our life. But now you are free from that slavery, but you've got a new master. Righteousness, God. A new, a new Lord. That's why we call him Lord. That, that, this is the concept of Lord and Saviour. Master. 1 Corinthians 16 puts it this way. 1 Corinthians 6, sorry, verse 19 and 20. Don't you realise that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself. So this was the same sort of speaking into the same context. You were bought with a price, so honour God with your body. So now we have a different master. We were slaves to sin and now we have a Lord. Um, but Darren, Darren, you're saying, I, th- I thought we were supposed to be free. You are free. Free from sin. When the Bible talks about freedom, it's not talking about American freedom. You know, I'm free to do what I want. No, it means to be free from death and that bondage. Now we have a new master. That's what it's talking about. It's freedom from sin. And the concept of a servant in the New Testament was not really about Ah, shall I do that? It was about who was our Lord, who is the Lord of our life. And if he is your Lord, you obey his voice, you belong to him. Now, Jesus sort of demonstrated this in his own life. He said things like this, this next slide. I only do what I see the Father doing. Or Jesus said this, I only say what the Father tells me to do. He's sort of demonstrating what it means Uh, to live as God as our Lord. So when you think about serving God, you know, it's really not about, what do I feel like doing? It's about, what is God asking me to do? That's the context of... um, Luke chapter 6, verse 46. We, We know this story... It's about um, building on a right foundation. But the first verse is really interesting. Why do you call me, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord when you don't do what I say? (laughs) Why do you call me Lord, Lord when you don't do what I say? So he's getting this point across. You call me Lord, but you don't do what I say. So this is the concept of serving. And then it goes on to say, I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, then follows it. It's like a person building a house who digs a deep and lays a foundation on solid rock. And when the floodwaters rise and break against this house, he stands firm because it's well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house without a foundation. And when the floods sweep down against the house, it will collapse into a heap of ruin. But so the foundation about serving God is, is he my Lord? What do you say, Lord, and don't do what I say? And that's a challenge, isn't it? Oh, I like the scriptures that tell me to do the things which I like to do. The other ones, you know, you just gloss over them. Now, even though we've been talking about serving in the context of slave, we should never think of ourselves as a slave. 
So this is what I want to do, the flip side of this now. Because we're more than that. The New Testament talks about us being adopted as sons and daughters. Who's ever heard that term? Adopted and sons and daughters. Joint heirs with Jesus. I call your friends, not servant. Occasionally in Roman times, when, when a slave was part of a family, the master would adopt them into the family. It didn't happen very often. But they were so close, they became part of the family. And what happened when you became part of a family? All your debts were cancelled. Hallelujah. Yeah. The entire past was considered gone. You had a new family. You sort of took the family name. You became one of the heirs of the family. And they were completely under the care and control of that sort of family. And they submitted to that new father. So they weren't just servants anymore. They were adopted sons and daughters. Uh, Ephesians 1 verse 5 talks about this. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us into bring us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do that gave him great pleasure. So we're much more than servants. We're sons and daughters. We're secure in a family. We're not a commodity. He's, now, at the same time, he's still our Lord. We don't sort of... That, that doesn't disappear. He's still our Lord, but we're part of the family. So we have these two things together where we serve God because we belong to him Yet, we're not just commodities, we're part of his family. And Jesus paints some incredible pictures about what it looks like serving in the kingdom. Before he, he had communion and he went to the cross, he washed the disciples' feet. Sounds smelly, doesn't it? In fact, it was in those days. They're walking around Jerusalem with those sandals, callous feet, full of... Who knows what? You reckon your feet are bad. You wait till you see these guys. And when you went into the house, it was the job of the lowest slave, let's use the term, the proper term, to wash the people's feet. And if you're on the bottom of the ladder, you're like first day apprentice slave, you get the job of washing people's feet. And it's, you can't go any lower. That's like, that's it. That's, that's as far as low as you can go. And so they came into this household and Jesus starts to wash the disciples' feet. And we know he was trying to teach them something really powerful about what it means to follow him. And um, let's go to... It's in John chapter 13. We're going to start at verse 14 and then we're going to go back to the beginning. This is after Jesus had washed their feet. He says this, And since I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I had done to you. I tell you the truth, what does it say? Slaves are not greater than their master. He's painting this picture. If the master does it, then I want you to do it. Nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Imagine being there. Okay. How, that's messing with your whole system. Um, and through this act, we find some in, really important keys to serving in a Christ-like way. 
If you go back to the beginning of this chapter of John 13, verse 1, it says this, before the Passover celebration, this is when communion was sort of instituted, Jesus knew that his hour had come. Wow. So this is really important. Last words are pretty important. He would leave the world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth and he loved them to the very end. There's, there's the first key about serving. When we think about serving, love for people and love for God has really got to be our motivation. It's got to be the foundation. And he uses this example, the lowest act. Peter refused to, that he refused Jesus washing his feet because he thought it was too demeaning. But Jesus said, you've got to do this. And he was demonstrating that when we follow him, when we serve in his context, we've got to be happy doing the lowest job. We've got to uh, be comfortable doing that lowest task as well as the noble task and be okay with that. No job is beneath us. We don't work our way up the Christian ladder. <laughs> so Jesus had done that and he was like probably the number one. So what did he do? He washed people's feet we don't work up our way uh, up a ladder in christianity those who serve the most are those who are considered great in the kingdom and we need to serve with love those whatever their condition whatever the relationship we have with them whatever their status in life however beautiful or ugly that might look. John 13, verse 3 and 4, this was a key for Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, that he had come from God and would return to God. What a, what a sentence. Jesus knew had, he'd been given authority over everything. So he called a mighty army together. No, he didn't. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped it around his waist, poured water in a basin and began to wash their feet, drying with the towel he had around them. See, Jesus was really secure in his identity. He knew who he was. He knew he had all this authority. Um, he knew who he was going. He, it wasn't determined on how he looked, um, how he was perceived by others. He could do any task, grand or low. He didn't care what people thought. He didn't have to look good. He never tried to climb a ladder. He was not serving, trying to do something with his self-image. It was nothing about that. He knew who he was. He knew he was where he was going. He knew he had all authority. So he got up from the table, wrapped the towel around him and started washing feet. You know, when we know who we are, in God, you can do the most grand things or the most menial things. Your status isn't connected to that. Your acceptance isn't connected to that. We're accepted by God. I remember this old guy called Kevin Connor. Anyone ever heard of Kevin Connor? He had a big church for years in Melbourne. About 2,000 uh, people in his church. This old guy, I remember him speaking. To, he wrote over 50 books on theology in Melbourne. A guy called T.D. Jakes, who you might have heard of him, calls this guy the, his father in theology, right? 
He's built this incredible church, wrote all these books. His son had a church with about 8,000 people in it, and they had a conference every year. This is a few years ago now. And his job, see, I've got to be on the car park. That's what he did at his conference. This guy who just ran this church, written all these theology books, the one thing he wanted to do was to be on the car park and just welcome people. I think he knew his identity was in Jesus. Imagine writing 50 books on theology. I think you've got a pretty good understanding of who God is. Yeah, and he was happy doing that. It just inspires me, a, a sort of a feet-like-washing act. So, you know, Jesus showed us that serving isn't about making our way up the ladder. Serving isn't primarily about expressing your gift, although that will happen. Serving is primarily, primarily about the issue, do I belong to God? Am I secure in the family of God? Then I want to serve one another. I want to be like Jesus. So here's a, here's a challenge. How are you with doing the most menial, unseen things as compared with those who you might get noticed for? That's a, that's a good question to ask ourselves. When it, you know, um, when it comes to church, I suppose, everyone who comes to church... I want to see, connect with God. I want to see them grow. I want to see them serve. Um, because it's... Uh, to lift our hands and worship God and not be willing to serve would be hypocritical, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, and I don't think we should ever have this attitude if we come to a gathering like this. Well, I just come to receive. No, we come to serve. Of course, there's moments where we have a a lower time when we need more, perhaps in and out. But when we come here, it always should be, how can I serve someone? Am I a contributor, not just a consumer? Here's a quiz. Here's a quiz. How will you evaluate church? Is it was, well, how, how well did it serve me? Did I like the sermon? Of course you did. Was it my favourite songs? Was the temperature okay? Uh, you know, what was the coffee like? How about, we, how about we evaluate church like this when I come? How well did I reveal Jesus? How well did I serve someone? This is, like I said, this is the foundation. It's the foundation for serving. Do, if I serve, does the right person have to ask me? Well, if Kerry asks me, well, I'm going to serve. Well, then that's probably serving to be noticed. If I only serve in certain ways but refuse other ways, am I generous with my time? So you can, you know, give yourself your own score and work that out. It would be challenging if we weren't so perfect here, wouldn't it? But, uh, you know, glad we've all got it together. Hey, so what, are, what, I'm, what I'm talking about serving here, I'm just talking about our foundation. We want to build on the right foundation. It's not about fulfilling me, it's about serving someone else and you will be fulfilled. Uh, who loves giving gifts at Christmas? Hey, your kids or your grandkids, you love to see them open. The joy, that's the joy of serving. That's the joy of serving. 
And uh, I believe our attitude in serving should be one of this. Write this down. Helper. Do you notice that when Jesus left, he said, I'm going to bring someone in just like me and just what we're going to call him, the Holy Spirit, his name will be Helper. Have a think about that. That's just not to help me, but that's showing what God is like. So if I want to reveal Jesus to others, guess what? I need to be a helper. It's, it's pretty basic, really, when you think about it. A helper. And I believe this is the greatest spirit you can have. If you want to be a servant, be a helper. If you have the Holy Spirit within you, you become a helper. And, um, you know, I, I found about this, about serving, this is my own personal testimony. Some of you have, have heard this. As I've helped in areas, I've discovered gifts I didn't have. It's true. Some of you might know I play a couple of instruments. I learned to play piano when I went to Bible college because I didn't have a piano player. I played guitar and I thought, how hard can it be? Just jump on there because there was a need. And I worked out, hey, I think I can do this. I wasn't actually uh, trying to express my gift. I was trying to fulfill a need. At another time, I was in a church and my pastor asked me to produce a newsletter. I went to a printer. It was going to cost us, well, 600 bucks a month or something like that. I thought, Photoshop for dummies. Let's have a look at that. This is the exact book I got. And I discovered, hey, I think I can do a bit of this. So I did some, started doing design work. It wasn't because I thought I was a designer. It was because I was trying to meet a need. And every, just about every gift I've found in my life was because I was trying to be a helper, not find, someone, not find something that fits how I think I am made. Because I tell you what, you have a lot more potential than you realise and a lot more gifts when you realise. And when you serve someone else, you might just discover something incredible. And I've seen that. I remember when I went on council. I mean, I mean some of you know I'm the mayor of York Peninsula. You know, I'm an introvert at heart. You know, I'd rather, you know, I fuel when I'm by myself, not when I'm with people. And... I had no idea what I was doing when I started. Some will say still the same. But it was when you feel, hey, I think, there's, I think I can do that. All of a sudden you'll discover some other things about you. Let's build a great foundation. Let's, we have a great foundation. Let's strengthen that foundation. Maybe rethink serving. We all belong to God. He is our Lord. We serve him because we belong to him. Not because we have to, but because we're part of his family. We're no longer a slave to sin. We have a new master. Let's serve because we're grateful. Let's serve because we want to be like Jesus. Let's be a helper. Amen. Thanks, Sarah. Let's come and serve us on the keyboard. Let's maybe take a moment now just to think about what God has done for us.
because I think um, thankfulness is just such a powerful thing. It changes our focus. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. But tell God what you need him and thank him for all he's done. Then the peace of God which surpasses our understanding will get our, guard our hearts and our minds as we live in Jesus. Thankfulness. Thank him for all he's done. Lord, we're so thankful for what you've done for us, Lord. Lord, if uh, we've talked about this before in the service, Lord, but if people are consumed with worry or anxiety about a situation in their life, Lord, we give that to you, Lord. We cast our cares upon you. And now we focus, as we do that, we also focus on the goodness of God. That he has set us free from sin and death. We have a heavenly Father. We're adopted. We're thankful for those things, Lord God. Lord, as we dwell on those things, Lord, let the peace of God just fill our being, Lord, our heart and our mind. Our thinking, Lord, our, our emotional thoughts, Lord, the emotions that sort of fill our, our life, Lord. We thank you for that. Lord, we resolve to be uh, people who represent you, who reflect you, your ambassadors, Lord. Lord, uh, help us do that in this context, but in every part of our world. As we go into our workplaces, into our schools, Lord, into whatever, wherever we find ourselves uh, tomorrow and the day after, Lord God. We want to be your ambassadors. Have that Holy Spirit with, it, with us, Lord, the, the helper. Let's just sing that too. of your man. 
remember that the New Testament says we've been bought with a price and we thank you for the love of God which was demonstrated in Jesus. He came to earth to show us what, Jesus, to show us what God was really like and he died on a cross. I can't really imagine all, all that that means but we know it means that we are forgiven and we can come to God and be part of the life-giving family of God. Lord, and I, Lord, I pray, Lord, um, for that. I, I thank you for the invitation. And I present that invitation to anyone who might be here who doesn't know what it means to be part of the family of God, to feel the refreshing of his forgiveness, to feel accepted, to belong in the family of God. There's an invitation for you just to say, yes, Lord, I thank you for that. I receive your love. I commit my life, my world into your hands and I want to follow you, Jesus. And uh, I don't know where all everyone is here, but that invitation is for everyone in this place. And all that really needs from us is a yes, Lord. A yes, Lord. Just a willingness, I suppose. Even if we don't know all that that means, a willingness to say yes is the start of a journey. So I pray for those who would say that, yes, Lord God. Lord, I pray that they'll sense the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. They'll ex, uh, experience the refreshing of the Holy Spirit, the, the release of a burden which comes when we're forgiven. We thank you for your great love in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for being with us here today. Um, if you stay around for some coffee, if you haven't been here before, we'd love to get to know you and uh, have a fantastic week.